Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, we are talking about BISC, a decentralized, no KYC exchange. But first, let me introduce the sponsors of the show. So firstly, Kraken. Kraken are one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges. I'm really impressed with the way they operate. They have a really strong focus on security and acting ethically in this space. They offer some of the best liquidity in the industry. They offer high trading volume and low fees with no minimum or hidden fees. Kraken have 24-7 support and on the institutional and business solution side, they are providing best-in-class accounting, reconciliation and reporting services for cryptocurrency hedge funds, asset managers and fund administrators. Kraken have an OTC desk for those higher touch large block trades. They offer five fiat currencies and also offer margin and futures trading. So to sign up, go to kraken.com. There is a link in the show notes. Next, look into Unchained Capital. They are a Bitcoin financial services company and they're offering two main products, a multi-signature vault and a Bitcoin collateralized loan. So with the vault, you can use Trezor or Ledger wallets. It's a very simple web interface. And in doing so, you can split up your keys and keep control yourself with Unchained being the cosigner, the third key in that model. And Unchained also offer these Bitcoin collateralized loans. So you can get USD liquidity without selling your Bitcoins. Now this might be more tax efficient for you, meaning you don't trigger a capital gains event. So while that loan's outstanding, it's stored in a dedicated multi-signature address under collaborative custody. So if you want to find out more, go to unchained-capital.com. There's a link in the show notes. So today we're discussing BISC, a decentralized exchange with no KYC. So you'll already know Wiz, my regular listeners will know him from episode 74, and we've also got Steve Jane. He is a contributor with BISC. My view is we ultimately need a range of high-quality options spanning from regulated KYC exchanges through to things like HODL HODL as a non-custodial business for Bitcoin trading and over to BISC, a more decentralized way of trading Bitcoins. I think as hodlers, we want Bitcoin to be strong and resilient, or, or even anti-fragile, and I believe BISC may be a part of that. So here's the interview. Wiz and Steve, welcome to the show. Uh, th- thanks, thanks for, for having, having us me. on. Yeah. Yeah, so look, my listeners are probably already familiar with Wiz from the earlier episode, but Steve, would you like to just take a minute and just tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so I have a background in... Uh, I guess, finance and tech. Uh, I started my career with uh, GE Capital doing venture debt risk assessments, kind of like venture capital, but with with, with debt. And so did uh, due diligence, underwriting type work there. Um, also worked in sales, enterprise sales for a little while, uh, B2B business development type work. And then um, I guess throughout that time had a, a toe in uh, development. I ended up creating two of my own consumer-focused web apps, which I uh, still run today. And yeah, for about the past year and a half, I've been contributing to BISC, mainly in communications-oriented work. So uh, documentation, uh, blogging, growth calls, speaking, um, that kind of thing. Today, I was really keen to discuss with you guys about BISC because, you know, there's a lot to that. And it's about how can we essentially make Bitcoin more resilient, more strong, and yeah, so I guess maybe just while we got you here, Wiz, did you want to just give us a quick update on Bitcoiner or Shitcoiner? <laughs> yeah, um, 
I'm sure your listeners know me as uh, just another uh, toxic Bitcoin maximalist on Twitter. But um, yeah, on the last show, we talked about the Bitcoiner shitcoiner website, and it's actually ready to go. So what I'll do is I'll time it to uh, be released at when you, whatever you uh, release this podcast. But uh, yeah, basically, I hit shit corners. I hate crypto companies. I hate all these uh, <laughs> scams, dude. I mean, they're all just like cheap knockoffs of Bitcoin that like tweak a couple parameters and add a narrative and millions of dollars of marketing budget and market maker wash trading bots. And yeah, dude, I, I, you know, they come to they come to our meetup in Tokyo with their brochures and their T-shirts. And, you know, it's just there's no place for for companies in Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is a community of individuals. And uh, if you're doing this company that's, you know, making your scam or whatever, I just uh, they just troll me in real life to my face all the time. Right. Because I think all the I mean, basically all companies are evil. Right. I mean, like it, it's like. You could start out as the most um, uh, best intention company and through even no fault of your own, the government will just come knocking on your door and say, hey, you have to do all these, uh, you have to put all these back doors in your app for us and spy on all your users for us, you know, because we're the government, we have guns and we're going to, you know, uh, shut you down if you don't do it. And that's, that's what happens to a lot of uh, companies in the Bitcoin space, right? Like Shapeshift, for example, started out being the you know very proud about having no KYC you can't even create an account and sure enough a couple years later uh yeah uh, actually mandatory account creation and mandatory full KYC right so even if you have the best intentions just the fact that you're this centralized uh company means that you're eventually going to sell out your users at some point even if you don't really want to and um yeah I mean that that happens all the time in Bitcoin right like if you look at uh, BitPay was another good example with uh, BIP70 where they they used to be cool and then all of a sudden they add this uh, totally proprietary BIP70 thing where you can't even get a Bitcoin address to pay him. And uh, Nicola, uh, or Nicola Story, I should say, he uh, did that famous tweet where he said, you know, you've broken my trust, BitPay, I'm going to make you obsolete. And uh, sure enough, he replaces this entire company with millions of dollars of VC funding with an open source project, right? And, you know, implements the same API. And now users can just switch to BTC pay server and even run it on a Raspberry Pi. And uh, that's what I that's what I feel the real Bitcoin um, cypherpunk philosophies boil down to, right? It's like your your hardware, your private keys, and just peacefully interacting with other individuals that's that's what bitcoin is a community of individuals right and there's no room for companies there's no room for uh centralized exchanges and i guess that's why we're working on bisc right steve that's right so yeah so, i think I, I guess i would say i mean for me i'm i'm not as like bearish on the idea of companies but i agree with you that there is that vector that angle for the government to try and control them and that is typically where control can be exerted and it's difficult. Uh, but um, I definitely see a value in having a gamut of options, right? And you would have like some fully regulated companies and then some somewhere in the middle, like companies that are maybe, you know, somewhat centralized, but using non-custodial, uh, giving you non-custodial options. And then over on the other end, way out on this end, you've got BISC, which is like the idea of trying to be maximum 
decentralized such that there's no CEO, there's no you know one person that can be kind of taken out or uh, inf- influenced such that uh, the exchange can get compromised, let's call it, or trading platform or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, Wiz, I know you recently tweeted out a, a thread about BISC and you were talking about the difference between BISC and other ways of exchanging. Right. There's a lot of um, basically fake decentralized quote unquote exchanges out there. And, you you know, I did this uh, tweet storm the other day about BISC and sure enough, some, uh, you know, some shitcoin scammers uh, spam replied my thread and they're like, oh, yeah. It's uh, it's BISC and this other decentralized exchange that you've never heard of. And so I click on the link and sure enough, on the website, they have this about our company thing at the bottom. And it's like, if it's a centralized company, how the hell are these guys decentralized, right? Uh, you know, BISC is an actual um, decentralized community. There's no company. There's no servers. Everything is uh, peer-to-peer, run over tour. It's for the users, by the users, there's no shareholders that we're reporting to. There's no government jurisdiction that we have to, you know, comply to any KYC regulations. And uh, if if you take some other crypto exchanges, quite often they get paid uh, a ton of money to list all these uh, shit coins and shill them to our users. And I've actually had like some ICO scammers contact me. They're like, hey, I want to list my shitcoin on BISC. And I'm like, dude, like we're a community of individuals. Why would we want to scam ourselves with your shitcoin? That just makes zero sense. And they don't really get it. Steve, did you want to add any of your own thoughts around uh, what BISC is? What What's the ethos of BISC? Yeah, I guess maybe if I could just add to a little bit about what Wiz said um, about, about companies. I mean, there was a tweet that Melton Demers had a couple day or two ago. Um, that I found kind of interesting. She's, she was talking about how the, the, some of the, the basic principles of, of Bitcoin were, you know, or are sovereignty, privacy, getting rid of rent seeking and that kind of thing. But then she attached a picture. And I, by the way, I don't mean to dunk on her. I just think it's a cool uh, uh, thing to point out. Um, she attached a picture with uh, some of the, the big companies in the space and how much they're worth now. And she's like, we should take a look, a hard look at what we've built because a lot of the value in our industry is being captured by these intermediaries. And it just kind of, it stuck out to me because if you kind of look at it in one way, the whole point of a company is to be an intermediary. You have investors and you have customers. And the whole point is to serve your investors by providing some kind of a product or service to your customers. And so the fact that they're accumulating capital and um, kind of sitting in the middle and being intermediaries shouldn't be a surprise. And so when I think about BISC, it's like we said, a community of individuals, um, you know, connected through a peer-to-peer network. Um, much like if you run a Bitcoin node, you are kind of in a way your own bank, right? You, you have full control over transactions. You have the whole blockchain uh, that only, um, that, 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 you know, allows you full control. Um, BISC in the same way is like you're kind of becoming your own exchange. Uh, I think a lot of people think about exchanges as a service provided to you by another entity. Um, but the, the BISC model is that you become that entity and you have full control over how you want to exchange and what you want to exchange and uh, on what terms you want to do that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, if Bitcoin allows everyone to be their own bank, then BISC allows everyone to be their own Bitcoin exchange. That's that's a really great way to sum it up. And um, BISC is a lot like Lightning. It's it's really 
this layer two system that's built on top of Bitcoin. You know, it has its own peer to peer network, just like Lightning does. And uh, but but instead of trade channels, or, I'm sorry, instead of payment channels, you have trade channels. So when you you trade with people, you know, you open up a on chain transaction with them. And everything goes into this multi-sig, uh, very secure way of trading. And after you get the uh, fiat currency payment from them and you, you confirm everything's secured, then you can release the funds to them. And uh, there's there's just so many uh, similarities between uh, Lightning and BISC like from a very high level. I'm sure it's not like the, the most 100% uh, technically accurate analogy to use, but I like to think of, uh, I like that explain it to new users by saying BISC is like another layer two system for Bitcoin. And then Steve, you want to um, want to go into the why BISC? Yeah, so I guess when we think about why BISC, we kind of we usually approach it from three perspectives. So there's the security aspect, the privacy aspect, and then the freedom or censorship resistance aspect. I guess for security, the things to, to mention here is, of course, you own, you have full, full control of your Bitcoin. It's not, it's a non-custodial service. Uh, there's a, there's a wallet built right into the software where you, uh, you can use to fund your, your trades. So there's a deposit re- required for each transaction that you do on BISC. Um, the Bitcoin for those deposits comes right from your wallet. Not your keys, not your Bitcoin, right? <laughs> so how about from a privacy point of view as well? Yeah, I guess the uh, the privacy is pretty solid because the core component is that you're running your BISC node on your own hardware. And so you don't have an account. You just have a cryptographic identity. Just like with Bitcoin, you don't have a Bitcoin account. You just have a Bitcoin wallet. And so in your, your BISC wallet, uh, you know, you're your node is uh, only accessible through a Tor hidden service. And so your quote unquote account, if you want to think about it like that, is just a string of random numbers and letters. There's no, you know, you don't put your name. BISC doesn't ask what your social security number is or anything like this. And there's no IP addresses being leaked since, you know, use of Tor is mandatory. It's funny, the other day, uh, I think it was local Bitcoins had this warning message on their website that said, if you use Tor, Oh, there's a risk that you might, you know, lose your bitcoins. I thought that was bullshit. You should be required to use Tor when trading your your Bitcoin. Otherwise, there's a risk that you might leak some privacy information, right? And so BISC really tries to uh correctly respect the user's security, privacy, and freedom in order to be just completely censorship resistant, uh, you know, government resistant, capital control resistant, you know. Like for example, in Japan. You could, uh, the centralized exchanges in Japan can only trade the coins that the government allows them to trade. Uh, so, for example, if you want to buy Monero uh, in Japan, the only way to buy it is with BISC, simply because it, you know, it has privacy. So the government thinks it's bad because it can't, uh, you know, do blockchain analysis on the the people. But of course, BISC is a uh, financial self-sovereignty so you can you can trade whatever you want there that that being said there's a there is a no scam policy and a no bcash policy on bisc so we don't allow icos or uh bcash but uh, <laughs> yeah i mean if if bitcoin is the separation of money and state then bisc is the separation of trading and state right we don't want we don't want the government interfering in our private trades with other you know individuals in our bitcoin community there's just none of their business and they shouldn't be infringing our our rights to privacy and freedom yeah point of 
point of uh, trivia, there, the Bisque is kind of the the second name. Uh, so the original name of Bisque was BitSquare, which was supposed to be a uh, play on the term Satoshi Square. Uh, so the whole idea was that people, you know, they should be able to meet up just as they would in person. They should be able to meet up digitally to do trades without any kind of interference. That's the whole idea from the beginning. That's a bit of background on, I guess, the ethos of BISC, why, why BISC. I'm interested now to just talk through the flow. How does it work, right? So I've had an opportunity to use BISC. I've tried just doing a small buy. Uh, and essentially what I found was that you basically download, you go to BISC.network, you download the software, you install it, you create an account, and basically you, uh, I think you, you make a password and that, uh, I think that encrypts your BISC wallet and so on. Steve, did you did you want to just talk through the flow in terms of what it looks like to say buy bitcoins using BISC? Sure. So, like you said, you, you go to the website, you download the software. Um, once you uh, have it running, you the first thing you want to do is deposit some Bitcoin. Um, so every every trade on BISC, like I said, requires a security deposit, just uh, mainly to incentivize traders to follow through on their ends of the deal. Um, so if you're buying Bitcoin, you're going to put, uh, you're going to need uh, a certain percentage of however much you're looking to buy. Um, it's usually a small amount. It's sometimes a bit of a, a hurdle for new, like for people who don't have any Bitcoin. Um, we have some suggestions on the on the site or in our docs for like for for newbies to to get started. But if you have a little bit of Bitcoin, um, you can put it in the Bisc wallet and either make or take an offer. This is a little bit of a new concept for, for people coming from centralized exchanges because um, there is no order book per se. There is no like server somewhere saying, here, here are the orders that are available on BISC and offering them to you to buy. The orders that you or the offers that you see on BISC are offers from other people on BISC at that very moment. So they're being sourced from other peers on the network and they're, you're seeing them as one order book, but they're actually from a bunch of other people. Um, so when you see an offer you like, you accept the offer and you're asked to fund your wallet with uh, de deposit, trading fees and mining fees, uh, mining fees to uh, fund the multi-signature uh, transaction that will include your uh, deposit fees and the seller's deposit and fees. And um, yeah, once that deposit or once that uh, transaction confirms, you send your payment. Payments, uh, fiat payments are sent out of band. So BISC does not actually integrate with any fiat payment methods. You actually send your payment through your bank or your whatever, however you, you've decided to, uh, to pay for the Bitcoin. Um, and then you tell BISC that you've sent the payment. And then once the seller sees the payment come through in their bank, they, they tell BISC, like, yeah, I received this payment. Um, two key, two of the three keys uh, uh, are signed, uh, and the funds are released to uh, to each party. That's Got it. In a nutshell, and, how it works. Great. And so, I guess just to talk that through, then for the listeners, it's basically at the point where you accept that offer, you need to basically your BIS client is kind of spending that into a multi-signature two of three output. And then once it's all kind of ready to be released, that's when it you get your Bitcoin that you're buying, for example. Right. So I guess let's just ta talk a little bit about 
the zero start problem there, right? It can be a bit difficult for a first time user because one thing I notice is that you actually need Bitcoin to buy Bitcoin, right? So it's, it's a little bit difficult for a first time user. Can you talk through some of your thoughts there? What, what are the, some of the ways that a user might get around that? Well, there are a couple of things. I mean, they're not, they may not be ideal. I mean, you could, you could always go to friends and family. So if you have friends or family in the Bitcoin, you probably already know they're in the Bitcoin. They probably can't stop talking about it. Uh, so you kind of know who to go to. Uh, but uh, yeah, you could go to uh, an ATM. A lot of ATMs don't require KYC for, for, small, uh, for small amounts. Um, you can, can work for it, you know, find a project or maybe a gig that's looking to, you know, to pay Bitcoin for, for a little bit of work. Um, you know, maybe meet local meetups are another way too. If you have any events going on in your area, then, you know, finding people that way, you can be willing to sell you a little bit of Bitcoin. Um, yeah, so there are ways. I think if you really want Bitcoin in this day and age, you know, there's, if there's a will, there's a way you can find, cause you don't need a whole lot to start out with. Yeah. So as I understand, uh, at least for the Australian system, it was 0.01 or a little bit over 0.01 Bitcoin or about one, a little bit over 1 million sats that you need to basically do the buy of 0.01. Uh, and yeah, so I, I, it might be interesting as well just to talk through the flow. Are there any key differences to call out there if the user is doing, say, a bank transfer versus an in-person meetup? Is there any key differences there or not really? Uh, it's probably mostly logistical. I mean, if you're doing it in person, of course, you have to you know meet somebody in person. There's kind of a different set of, uh, uh, I guess, guidelines or things you want to think about if you're meeting a stranger to, to do a transaction like this. Um, bank transfer is something you could possibly do online. You know, don't have to go through the hassle of... Uh, so it could be quicker. Um, then, of course, you have considerations of uh, a bank knowing that you're doing such a... Or possibly knowing... They don't know, but there, there's a possibility that they that they could guess that you're doing such a transaction. And some banks are more okay with that than others. It's a it's it's a there are pros and cons to each. Got it. Um, and is there some sort of reputation system in BISC? And uh, I noticed there are also some restrictions at the start. So can you talk a little bit about the lifting of those and reputation system? Yeah, so I guess reputation to be, uh, I guess, in one way, there isn't really a reputation system in BISC. Um, essentially, you have there are no accounts. You have you have payment accounts that you've that you've put into BISC uh, as as ways to do transactions. These payment accounts are rated by age. So the older your payment account, the more of an allowance you have to trade or the bigger your trade sizes can be. The only semblance of reputation that there really is, is that you can see the number of times you've done a trade with a particular onion address. Um, so not a particular person, because a person can change their onion address whenever they want. Um, the restrictions that you mentioned are in place right now because of some incidents earlier in the year. Uh, with uh, stolen bank accounts. And so in major markets, we limited trade sizes to 0.01 Bitcoin to uh, as a temporary measure to get around these, uh, these, these issues that we were having. We're working on uh, some account signing mechanisms to, uh, I don't know if I would call it reputation, but to, to, to ensure, to, to, to provide more confidence to the network that people people's payment accounts are actually their payment accounts. 
Um, so basically what's going to happen is people are going to, so accounts before March 1st of this year are, we're confident that they're, that they're, uh, trustworthy. Those accounts are going to be signed by BISC's arbitrators and accounts after March 1st are going to have to verify, uh, I don't, I don't want to sound like uh, KYC. They're, they're basically going to have to, as long as they haven't had a chargeback, they'll be uh, counted as uh, good and signed by people who were signed before. And then at that point, their trade limits will be lifted. Yeah, I think that the uh, entire concept of a reputation system goes against the you know fundamental philosophical principle of respecting the user's privacy, right? Like a reputation system is basically the opposite of respecting the user's privacy. And so it's actually very, very difficult to implement a privacy or I'm sorry, a reputation system, um, you know, and, and even more so in a decentralized way, right? Like we don't have any servers. We're, we're trying to remove, um, you know, we're trying to make the system more decentralized, not more centralized. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few, um, kind of lame, uh, you know, restrictions right now on a, on a few payment method types that maybe had some, uh, frauds or, you know, but I think for the most part, um, if you stick to using payment methods that don't have a chargeback risk, so, or if you, um, you know, like face-to-face -face cash, there's no, uh, limit, right. Or I'm sorry, the limit is like two Bitcoin or something very, uh, and, and obviously if you're meeting the person face-to-face, -face, you can just, you know, do whatever transaction you want to do anyway. But right. the, you know, the, the, the point is that we're trying to implement this system without sacrificing the user's privacy. And so it's kind of like Bitcoin, right? Like remember in the early days of Bitcoin, you ever use Bitcoin QT? It was like the ugliest app ever. You know, it's like a lot of the stuff could only be done on, on the command line. But the, the point was if Bitcoin wanted to just onboard a whole bunch of users, you know, you could have just added some kind of centralized feature. The whole point of Bitcoin is to be decentralized. So yeah, the UX suffers as a result. And fortunately, this is something that gets improved over time. Right now we have, you know, probably 10 or 20 different Bitcoin wallets on the app store. You can just install instantly on your phone. And there's there's all these really cool hardware wallets and, and you know, full node products that coming out that make Bitcoin so easy to use for newbie users, even you know, just plug and play out of the box while still respecting their security, privacy, and freedom. So I think over time, BISC will become even, uh, you know, BISC will even remove the arbitrators. It'll remove all these uh, silly trade restrictions and, and uh, amount limits. And it'll continue to respect the user's privacy even, even more so, right? And so it'll, it'll improve over time. Okay, got it. And I think another thing listeners will want to understand is just the flow in the case of an unsuccessful trade, or let's say, um, I guess, let me just make a hypothetical up. Let's say I accept an offer to buy from someone and then I, it says, you know, uh, pay, you know, whatever, $150 to this bank account. And let's say I'm a dodgy person. I didn't actually transfer $150 to that account. And then I tick, yes, I did. And, you know, how, how would, what's the flow there in the, in the, you know, the non-happy path? Can you just talk to that for us, Steve? 
Yeah, so there essentially you would have to prove to a dispute resolution uh, contributor that you actually have now received the payment. Um, so the reason I'm, I'm a little vague about that because it, the the mechanism to do this has changed quite significantly in the past couple of weeks. Just I think uh, 1.1.6, which was I think released two weeks ago now. So it used to be that arbitrators were the primary means of dispute resolution on BISC, um, and they had that third key in the multi-sig uh, transaction. Um, that's still the case for a little bit longer, um, but recently we introduced mediators. So what would happen in that case is, uh, first you would try to resolve the issue directly with the trader through trader chat. So trader chat was just recently added and intended for people to solve little problems directly with the trader. Um, if you're really dodgy and you know no help in the, the trader chat, then you would open a case with a mediator. A uh, mediator is uh, somebody who's put up a bond. They're fairly trusted, um, but they don't have a key in the, in the multi-sig. They're merely somebody who looks at your problem, understands your side of the case, and then makes a suggestion for a payout. So if they conclude that you are dodgy and the other person is honest, then they'll suggest that you get the, the funds in the deposit in the, in the multi-sig wallet and that the other person who is being dodgy doesn't. Um, if both people accept that suggestion and the trade is over, the funds go to the right people and, and everything's done. Um, if that does not work out either, then an arbitrator who has that third key will take another look at the situation and, and make a decision. And whatever they decide is authoritative because they have that third key and they'll uh, direct funds as they think appropriate. And I just want to add that um, most of the transactions or the trades that go to arbitrate or mediation or arbitration are not you know, evil scammers trying to rip people off. They're just uh, newbies who made innocent mistakes and you know, they push the wrong button or they got to resync their app or something. And they normally get worked out without the arbitrator having to actually enforce anything, right? And that's why the introduction of mediators, I think, is going to be a, very helpful. But, you know, for the most part, all the trades just go through fine without any problems. I never had any problems. Okay, great. And I guess in terms of disclosing and privacy and so on i guess just for the users and the listeners to think through what are they disclosing i guess in the case that you are selling bitcoins on the app you would have to put your bank account details if you want to use bank account transfer so then that's the information that the buyer is going to see because it'll say please transfer whatever hundred dollars or 150 dollars into x y and z account with this name so I guess that's just for the listeners, make sure these are the things you, you, you kind of understand. That's what you're kind of that limited to the limited extent that you're doxing yourself to one individual who accepts the offer. That's the extent. Yeah, I think that's a that's a I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's an important thing to underline because a lot of people, they 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 see that you got to put your bank account information in the software and they kind of go, oh, well, like I'm doxing myself. This is KYC. I might as well trade somewhere else. Um, but the, the reality is it's just going to that one other peer. It's not going to a central company. It's not being persisted in any database somewhere out in the internet. Um, it's stored locally on your machine and only sent to your trading peer once that deposit uh, transaction confirms. And then only they see it. Nobody else does. 
Great. And now, Wiz, I think let's bring it back to you because I know you were recently doing a lot of work to try and basically build up the volume in BISC in Japan. So tell us a little bit about your experience there. Yeah, uh, this is something that I've been working on for the past few months. Um, so, of course, we had, you know, I, I kind of organized the local meetup in Tokyo. And a few months ago, local Bitcoins, I guess, got shut down by the government in terms of anonymous cash trades. And now they have mandatory KYC and all this stuff. And so my local, you know, Bitcoin community guys are like, hey, you know, like, how should we trade peer to peer now? And, um, you know, I started researching and then I, I heard about uh, BISC. And I was like, oh, this looks this looks uh, kind of interesting, but um, you know, I was I was a little skeptical at first, right, Steve? Like, uh, I think I jumped on the one of their growth calls at like four a.m. my local time, and you know, you know, I'm I'm a pretty toxic maximalist. I'm like, you know, what is this? Uh, you know, but uh, you know, after after checking it out, um, actually, oh wow, this seems like actually legitimately, uh, you know, in line with the cypherpunk philosophies of Bitcoin and everything. And uh, so, you know, I started working to basically localize the app for Japan, right? So, uh, first of all, I had a, a good friend of mine um, who's a native Japanese speaker help me translate the app and BISC website also into Japanese. And yeah, that's pretty straightforward translations. But um, the next big step was adding the local Japanese back, bank transfer uh, as a payment method into the app and so i had to like research with the bank of japan how the uh, interbank transfers work and actually added all like 500 banks in japan into the bisc app now so if you have a japanese bank account you can configure it in there and uh you know um over the past few months i've been kind of shilling it to my local bitcoin community is like hey this is how we should trade bitcoin you know we shouldn't use the uh, you know, we should just use this because this is because BISC is totally awesome. And uh, I guess let's see, a few days ago, last Thursday, um, we had what's called a liquidity party, where I think like five five guys all made like two or three offers each. And sure enough, we have like ten offers on the the JPY offer book on BISC right now. I can't believe it! Like it's happening, you know? Like the community is now decentralized. Like a week ago, everyone was using uh, KYC. Now they're free. Now they're, you know, they have their freedom back. They have their privacy. And um, some of the guys are actually, uh, you know, they, they're going to be market makers and uh, they're going to probably make like three, four, five percent profit on each trade, which is not bad. You know, for a thousand dollar trade, you make like 50 bucks profit and you're protecting your uh, local community members privacy in the process. Right. So we're all just collectively opting out of using the centralized Bitcoin exchanges in Japan and just, uh, or more, uh, you know, organizing our local community of individuals to trade with each other. And, uh, so far it's, it's beautiful and, uh, you know, we've got real people with real money and they, and they love it. You know, they love it. They're like, uh, they're all on here with fake names like Johnny, or I think there's two guys named Satoshi on here, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I'm sure they're all guys in my meetup group, but I actually don't even know who they are. So, you know, it's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, what about the process of educating them to use BISC? I suppose someone who has never used it before, how did you kind of walk them through that? So I kind of took it from the top and explained 
how BISC is basically a layer two system. It has a peer-to-peer -peer network. Everything is routed through Tor. You're essentially running a BISC node on your computer when you install the BISC app. And, um, you know, they, they, they're all Bitcoiners, so they get that pretty quick. And they understand the concept of trading peer-to-peer -peer with no KYC. So they got that pretty quick. Uh, it was, it was um, just a matter of doing a few live trades on stage at the meetup, you know, calling some uh, guys up from the audience and, and having them trade with me live in front of everybody. And, uh, you know, once, once I just kind of pushed them to install the, the app and, and do a few trades, they were hooked. You know, that's all it took. It's, it's, it's like if you get Bitcoin and you try BISC, you'll get BISC. It's the exact same philosophical principles at work. Right, and it's basically just one app, right? Um, okay, so there's um, I understand there's like a newer trade protocol coming. Steve, did you want to touch on that? Yeah, I, I guess I could. I don't know too much about the the details, but I can say that the uh, the intention is to is to make BISC a little bit more flexible, um, and so essentially, it's going to be off chain. Um, this is like far into the future, but we want to basically allow people to trade Bitcoin where the, where the security comes from uh, BSQ bonds. Um, maybe should we maybe talk about the, the DAO and the BSQ first? So there's a little bit more context. Yeah, let's do that. So uh, yeah, let's just can you just give us an overview on how BISC is developed? Then yeah, um, so the BISC network. So we've talked so far about the BISC network from the perspective of users, how it's a peer-to-peer -peer network and you know each person is their own kind of sovereign node participating in this network to trade how they want. Uh, the contributor side of BISC is also a network. Um, I think that's a, something that's important for people to, to understand and meaning that it's not a company, it's not an organization uh, or a legal entity of any kind. It's literally a network of sovereign individuals who choose to contribute to the network. And as a result, the traditional ways of organizing a, an operation don't really apply. We, we, we wanted to make it so that the, the project could sustain itself with minimal designated leaders. In fact, there are no designated leaders in the BISC network. Um, and so the two main things to do here are funding and governance. So strategy needs to be figured out. The way forward for the project, how it develops, what it develops, need to be figured out, and funding. Uh, people are going to work on this with any sort of consistency and reliability. There's got to be a way to, to pay them to keep them around and keep them contributing. And the basic ingredients are there, meaning that the you know, traders pay trading fees. And so there is a, a stream of revenue, but the question was, how do we get that revenue to contributors on merit? And so that's the founding, the foundational idea of the BISC DAO and the BSQ token. Um, essentially, Wait a minute, BSQ token? Is that a shitcoin? Oh, <laughs> no, actually. So BSQ, actually, thanks for calling me out. The token is probably not a great word. It's colored Bitcoin. Uh, so essentially, when you trade or when you contribute to BISC, you are you make a, a compensation request. You ask the network for compensation for what you've done, 
and that you you get BSQ. You you basically issued BSQ. Um, I guess maybe it's probably not worth going into the details of how that of how all that happens. But you essentially put in a few satoshis with your request, and those satoshis get colored to be worth the amount that you earn doing the work, and then you sell that BSQ to traders looking to trade on the BIS network. And the reason they buy that BSQ is because trades made with BSQ as trading fees cost less. So there's a built-in economy of people looking to use the software and people looking to contribute to the software. And the BSQ colored Bitcoin is what allows that economy to, to work. Yeah, I think right. when and I think the sorry, I think the obvious question at this point listeners would want to know is why not play in Bitcoin? I think the best way to answer that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but I think the best way to answer that is is it's a logistical problem. Um, if you used plain Bitcoin, that Bitcoin like so before the Dow launched, actually, for the first three years that this was around, trading fees were only paid with plain Bitcoin. But the problem with that was that all those fees went to one wallet, one or two wallets. Because, I mean, Bitcoin wallets have to be owned by somebody. And so what you had was these enormous amount of fees piling up in these wallets, but you had a, a lot more contributors than just the people who own those wallets, right? So you had a whole team. You had a whole, te whole team of developers. You had people doing growth initiatives and support and all kinds of things, but they weren't seeing any of that Bitcoin. Now, you could say, well, the people who own those wallets could simply have taken a portion of the Bitcoin and distributed it to the, distributed it to the people who deserved it. Um, but then you would have a central point of failure, right? You would have like the entire viability of the network would be reliant on those people to uh, distribute that Bitcoin fairly and regularly. Um, but what the BSQ token does is it allows that distribution, that collection and distribution to be decentralized so that no one person is in charge of figuring out how much somebody has earned and actually giving them that compensation. I think my understanding of, and, and you know, Stefan knows I'm one of the biggest uh, shitcoin uh, critics out here. And actually, Steve, I'm sure you remember when I first started talking to you, I was like, BSQ, what is this shitcoin, man? I don't, have, I don't want any oh, of this. I remember. <laughs> and uh, so now, actually, after I studied this quite a bit, I realized that for any other type of business, you could just create up a centralized uh, company. You know, if you're selling, uh, I don't know, steaks on the internet, if you're selling beef on the internet, yeah, you would just make a company and you would accept Bitcoin and that would work. But the problem is that these evil governments of the world really want to regulate trading of Bitcoin. And so the reason why BISC can't be a company it has to be this decentralized organization is so it has so you know the contributors have plausible deniability about who is actually quote unquote operating the exchange right and of course it's it's kind of like bitcoin in the sense that nobody's really operating it's a peer to peer network right each individual user is trading with another individual user but the purpose of the bsq colored bitcoin is for the voting rights right i mean if if um if you're running a business, you need this way to make decisions. Uh, for example, should we ban Bcash? Should we, you know, add this uh, ICO scam or not? And so, if you have the BSQ colored Bitcoin, then you can um, 
use that to vote. And you can also uh, let contributors color their own Satoshis into the BSQ colored Bitcoin with the consent of the you know the entire decentralized organization voting to approve that request to color new coins. So if I do a pull request into the BIS repository, I can then make a proposal to uh, a compensation request to uh, color some of my own Bitcoin as BSQ. And if the DAO approves, if the decentralized organization votes to approve my compensation request, okay, great. Now I have some BSQ and I can actually... Uh, you know, either hold it or I can uh, sell it to the cu- the the users of BISC and they can use it to pay their trading fees on the exchange. And so in that sense, the BISC traders who buy the BS- the colored BSQ from me are directly compensating me for my contributions to the BISC software or, or to, uh, you know, the website or whatever uh, work I did. And this is a really beautiful system of both governance, voting, and uh, compensation. And uh, and also, if, if we want to uh, change a parameter in the BISC network, like if we want to increase the trading fees or something, the BSQ uh, voting can also just uh, programmatically have all the nodes adjust like a certain parameter. And it's this really beautiful uh, governance system. They could, they could probably be uh, adopted to other use cases as well outside of BISC. But... Um, I actually uh, shout out to Mr. Hodel. He he's another hardcore toxic maximalist, and he tweeted out something. Uh, he tweeted out some horrible things at the BISC developers. Like, what is this shitcoin? And sure enough, he eventually came around too. He's like, actually, BSQ is the first legitimate quote unquote token use case that I've ever seen. And actually, Mr. Hodel is now a, a big BISC fan as well. So uh, surprisingly, even the most toxic uh, Bitcoin maximalists are okay with the BSQ colored Bitcoin because they see why it's okay. They see why this is the one legitimate token in a sea of tens of thousands of scam tokens, right? If I could just add real quick, I mean, you mentioned how, uh, you know, not having a legal entity enables BISC to be sovereign as an operation. I just want to add that it also extends the idea of user sovereignty because BISC is actually software that gives its users a a well-defined path to helping define its future, right? So I, when I talked about the BSQ token, I focused on the, the funding aspect and compensation aspect and trading fees. Um, Wiz mentioned the governance aspect uh, for strategy. And I just want to make clear that, that that also extends to users. So any user who has acquired BSQ or works for BSQ um, can also now have a say in the strategy of the software they use, which if you've ever been banned on Twitter or, or any other social network, uh, you have no say. You use the software, you rely on it all the time, but you have no say in how it actually works. BISC with the DAO and the token, the colored Bitcoin is uh, looking to change that. So as I understand then, there's multiple components or aspects around this BSQ thing. And look, I, you know, just so the listeners are aware, I've never held any BSQ. I hold zero. I'm not uh, shilling it, um, but I just want to summarize my understanding of it. So as you're saying, it has some component of use in voting in the you know decisions made uh, on the BISC network and the BISC software, as you will. And it's also used for compensation. So is that correct? Yeah. Okay, got it. All right. Um, so look, I guess that's 
that's yeah i guess that's bsq and the other i guess the other point is you can use bisc without ever touching bsq right you can just literally just go on there and just buy and sell and just pay your fee in bitcoin right yeah that's true it's it's good we highlight that yeah no no obligation Right. Um, okay. So, look, we've spoken a little bit about the DAO. Did you want to touch on um, the trade protocol off-chain component? Because I'm not too clear on that. Yeah, I guess I don't know, Wiz, if you want to jump in. I, I'm not too familiar with this, but I, I guess now that we've talked sure. about the VSQ token. Sure. So, obviously, the V2 protocol is still very early in the uh, discussion proposal phase. But the general idea is that arbitrators are a bad idea because they are literally trusted third parties. They are the weakest link. Uh, they are the central point of failure. They are the uh, security hole. You know, I could go on and on. We have to remove arbitrators from BISC for a number of reasons. They're also very expensive, uh, you know, because it's very time consuming and it's a very trusted role. And if they make a mistake or if the government goes after them, you know, for, for all these reasons. And so, to increase the, the decentralization of the entire uh, BISC network and peer-to-peer -peer network, we just want to remove arbitrators. And this is, of course, easier said than done because right now there's such a, a critical part of the, uh, the trade protocol. But essentially, the BISC v2 trade protocol would use a two of two multi-sig instead of a two of three multi-sig. And so you would only have the powerless mediators to... Um, resolve issues if they if they arise and in the event of a dispute um or or maybe i should back up a little bit the the uh there's actually going to be a little bit more barrier to entry so right now if you want to do a trade on the the current trade protocol you have to put up like a 10 percent security deposit to uh, buy bitcoin you need a little bit of bitcoin to buy bitcoin or if you're going to sell uh bitcoin you have to put in a little uh you have to put everything into the escrow but this is going to uh, change in the V2 protocol to be uh, bonded. So in order to, um, and this is maybe a little bit uh, like lightning in a sense, is, is that you actually have to uh, create a bond on BISC before you'll have any trading limit. So for example, if you have a $1,000 bond, that means you could do up to $1,000 worth of simultaneous trades on BISC. And if you scam somebody, the mediator of your trade dispute could go to the uh, the DAO, the decentralized community, and say, hey, um, we should revoke this guy's bond because he scammed this guy. And the entire community could vote on it. And um, this way, the, um, the, the role formerly known as arbitrator would uh, essentially get this bond from the from the BISC community, and uh, he would comp, uh, he would reimburse um, the uh, how do you say uh, disgrieved party, whoever got scammed, and uh, this I think uh, really goes to the decentralized nature of uh, of BISC, right? It, it really maximizes the value of the DAO itself and the the BSQ voting uh, structure, everything to remove the uh, quote-unquote weakest link. And um, the other second big change in the, in the V2 trade protocol is that it's going to be uh, the, the Bitcoin trade wallet will be removed from the BISC app. And so I think the way we're going to implement it is that we're going to, right now we're adding the API 
uh, into the BISC app. So it's probably going to be something like Bitcoin Core in the sense that you'll have BISC D and BISC CLI, and you'll also have this RPC API. And this will allow us to do a number of things, uh, like develop a mobile app that connects to your computer at home running BISC or your Raspberry Pi at home running BISC, something like this, which we currently don't have. But more importantly, it'll allow us to, um, for example, there's there's a lot of uh, Monero community traders right now that want to uh, integrate Monero wallet into BISC somehow. And I said, the best way to do that is with the API. And so... When you're trading with BISC, if you want to send Monero to someone or if you want to send Bitcoin to someone, um, you shouldn't be required to use the BISC wallet. You should be able to use a Trezor or some, you know, Casa node, Epic multi-sig setup, whatever you want, because that's really outside of the scope of BISC, right? The real primary purpose of BISC is to connect traders directly with each other in a private and uh, freedom-oriented way. And so by adding this API, it allows the v2 trade protocol to eliminate the bitcoin trade wallet and then this will allow you to settle trades in lightning for example so this is why it's uh, also known as the off-chain protocol is because currently the the trade protocol uses four multi-sig on-chain transactions which right now is okay because the blocks are empty but as the blocks get full and the mempool fees go up uh, one trade on BISC would be very expensive with the current trade protocol. So the other solution for just scaling BISC in general is to not use four multi-sig transactions, to let the trade parties use whatever they want to settle the transaction. And this will allow them to use Lightning uh, or other off-chain settlement, um, which you know will allow BISC to really scale. Okay, cool. I suppose the other question I have at that point is just around the scalability of the model. If it requires the DAO to vote on every potential arbitrator or what was previously arbitrated, how is is that going to become a bit difficult for the DAO to all vote on that sort of thing? You mean uh, in the context of dispute resolution or? Yes. Sorry. And like, so let's say a dispute, like, you know, let's say, you know, a few years from now, a lot of people are using BISC. And just with the, you know, kind of the law of large numbers, there's a lot of disputes going on. Would every single dispute that gets to that point have to now get voted on by the DAO? How scalable is that? It's a good question. So the intention is that such occurrences would be very low. So we don't want, so if, if there's any more than like one case that has to be decided upon, one dispute case has, that has to be decided on by the DAO, one a month would probably be too much. It should be a very rare occurrence, even at scale. Uh, the intention is that through trader chat, through mediation, um, that that disputes are largely solved um, and that arbitration cases that go to the DAO for a decision are exceedingly rare. And we're not going to be there immediately. I mean, it's going to take time. I mean, I'm sure at first we'll have a little bit more than we want, um, but I think you know, those are bugs that we'll have to work out. And then over time, the intention is that they're, they'll just be very rare. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the structure of BISC is to prevent disputes from happening in the first place. And so, for example, if you're putting up a $1,000 bond just to be able to trade on BISC, you know, scammers aren't going to put up their own money and then 
just to try and scam people for the equal amount of money or even less back, right? It just doesn't make any uh, sense. The financial incentives and financial disincentives are in place Uh, because that's really how crypto anarchy systems work, right? Like in Bitcoin or any other uh, system, you have to, in a crypto anarchy, you have to financially incentivize good behavior and financially disincentivize dishonest behavior. And uh, it'll be like a real exception case if something has to go uh, if, if a bond has to be confiscated. So far on the on the BISC dial, correct me if I'm wrong, no bonds have ever been confiscated, right? No, not yet. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, look, so I mean, from my point of view, I I guess I'm sort of still on the fence a little bit about the BSQ token, but I'm kind of like, I still would like to see decentralized, no KYC exchange. So I'm personally, I don't hold any BSQ. I'm not shilling it, but I'm probably willing to turn a blind eye to it and just be like, all right, that's cool. Just whatever. And, you know, if people want to use it, it, it's another option. I, you know, my view, as I've mentioned before, is I would like to see a gamut, a full gamut of options, right? Like you'll have the fully KYC exchanges and you'll have people somewhere in the middle. You'll have people like HODL HODL, right? They're centralized and non-custodial. And then over on this end, we'll have BISC, right? It's like properly decentralized. And there are certain things that have to be done to make that happen. And that if that includes the BSQ and the DAO, that's probably, uh, that's all there can be done. Um, but I think then the question is just around, what are your thoughts around driving BISC adoption then if you want to see people doing decentralized, no KYC exchange? I guess you got to do more, uh, you got to have more whizzes. You got to have people who are... <laughs> People who are willing to, uh, you know, put in the work. I know Wiz has been working tirelessly on the, the Japanese market, on the the website translations, the the program itself, the BISC uh, software translations, holding events to educate people. Um, you know, having groups. Uh, he has, I know he has a key base group for for Tokyo to uh, get people, just keep people in the loop, communication wise, and. Yeah, so I guess that's kind of what we'll need, I think, for global adoption in, in, in multiple languages, multiple regions, just people on the ground uh, doing what they can. Um, and then also, of course, I think contribution and like development is a big part of it, too. Um, I mean, this new V2 trade protocol is, is going to require a lot of work and... You know, the DAO, like we've talked about, is, is meant to incentivize that. So just as a frame of reference, the DAO has been out since April is when it was launched. And since then, there's been well over 100,000 BSQ have been burned for trading fees, uh, meaning that that amount of money was essentially directed to contributors for their, their work and then used by traders to use BISC. So for such a new, novel, kind of obscure concept, I think it's done quite well. And, um, you know, contributors, I think, uh, you know, folks interested in contributing, hopefully can take a look at it. And if, if you know, if they like it, then become a part of the, the project and just help, uh, help spread it. Yeah. Right. Uh, Wiz, did you have anything you wanted to add on, on that, just on your thoughts around uh, driving BISC adoption? Yeah. And to respond to your point earlier about the BSQ colored coin, I, I totally um, understand if you're a toxic maximalist and you think that BSQ is a shitcoin, then just don't use it, right? You know, pay your trading fees in Bitcoin and, uh, you know, think of it as something that the BISC contributors and developers use internally to vote on things. And, you know, it's totally opt-in. If you don't want to use BSQ, don't use it. And if you're more interested in contributing to BISC, then yeah, you know, do your own research and figure out, decide for yourself if BSQ is a shitcoin or not. I mean, 
believe me, I am the biggest uh, shitcoin opponent, and it, I came around. So uh, you know, but but do your own research, and and yeah, if, if you want to adopt Bisc in your local community, please come on the uh, Bisc Slack or Keybase groups and uh, contact uh, Steve or I, and uh, you know we can talk about how to localize uh, the payment methods in your area. For BISC, we can talk about you know uh, other localizations. If you want to do translations, if you want to uh, work on the website or other documentation, um, I kind of uh, you know figured out with Steve um, over the past few months here how to launch BISC in a new market, and uh, really, really, really uh, fortunately that it it's working out. And uh, I just I just can't believe um, how satisfying it is to you know help spread uh bisque to the local community and just see the look on everyone's face when they realize like oh yeah we're free now from the government regulation you know we, we can now trade with our ourselves and stay private you know keep our freedom yeah. so yeah i mean from my point of view i think i would like to see it um be a viable option and i think it definitely i would like to see if possible you know more people using it and adopting it and that way it's always there as just like a um you know, it's kind of like uh, existing in the same way that BTC Pay Server, it, it exists as this way as like, if nothing else works, you've always got BTC Pay Server kind of thing. You've all, it's always there. And I think um, from that point of view, I do want to see more decentralized Bitcoin exchange. And that's, again, I'm not, you know, attacking other forms of exchange, right? Obviously, you know, I, I see a role for many for a uh, spectrum. Uh, I just want a good uh, option to exist and I would like to see that. So, um, yeah. So for any listeners who are interested, if they want to go download BISC or if they want to find you guys, where should they come and find you? So the website is uh, BISC.network and uh, we have a, a Slack space, uh, BISC.slack. Actually, if you want, the, the invite link is a, slightly different. This, the link is BISC.slack.com, but I think the invite link, we can maybe put that in the show notes. Uh, if possible, then bisque underscore network is the Twitter handle. Fantastic. And just for you guys, uh, if people want to find you on your personal names, where can they find you? So I tend to go by M52Go. Jane.io is my uh, my website. You can put those in the show notes as well. Cool. Yeah, I'm Wiz, and uh, you should check out my website, bitcoiner or shitcoiner.com. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. All right. Well, thanks very much, guys. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Wiz and Steve. If you are interested, go and check out BISC. It might be good to put up some offers. That way there is more liquidity and makes it more easy for people to transact in a non-KYC fashion. And that might also help build Bitcoin's resilience. Reminder, if you get value out of this show, please do help me out by reviewing the show on iTunes or sharing it with your family and friends. StefanLevera.com is where you can go to subscribe, find the show notes, or read the episode transcripts on each episode page. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.